and excited this week to kick off a new study. Um, we are beginning in the book of Jonah this morning, the book of Jonah chapter number one, if you want to go ahead and find your place there, Jonah chapter number one. And for the next four weeks, we're just going to go chapter by chapter through this. Um, sometimes I think with the book of Jonah, and maybe this is how I want to say it, sometimes I think we overestimate our familiarity with the book of Jonah. Because after all, it's a Sunday school story, right? That um, if you grew up around church, you probably learned about or heard about for the first time when you were very, very young. And uh, we've seen VeggieTales movies and their Bible storybooks, and they all kind of begin the same and go through. And they make the story really seem a lot about, a lot like it's about the whale. Because if I were to say Jonah and, you would all respond, Jonah and the whale, right? Um, the great fish, all right? We got a couple of people that just want to be obstinate this morning, um, and that's okay. We love them too. I don't even know who said it. I'm <laughs> giving someone a hard time blindly. Uh, and so we're going to see from the book of Jonah really what this story of Jonah is about. As we jump into the book, and really just by way of introduction, as we look at the book of Jonah, what we find is I believe this story here, I want to set the stage, set the context, is the story of Jonah. I believe truly that the book of Jonah is a true story. Um, and I believe that for a few reasons. First of all, as we jump into the book, there's really not anything that's clearly given that says this story is fictional. We say there's a guy swallowed by a great fish, a whale, whatever it was. There's this person who was swallowed and they survived out the other side, right? Or they, they made it through this trial. And so you say, well, that's something that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But as we step into the Bible, we also understand this is a book that we accept in a lot of ways by faith. Because uh, if we believe the story of the Bible, we also believe that Jonah is a sign um, by which Jesus, the Messiah, was validated. And in fact, I think this is one of the reasons, one of the greatest reasons to accept the story of Jonah as a true story, is that Jesus actually says, he said, one day I'm going to give you guys the sign of the prophet Jonah. And the sign of the prophet Jonah he's referring to was after his crucifixion for our sins, he was buried, and then what happened three days later? He rose again. And so he says, you want a sign from me? I'll give you the sign of the prophet Jonah. And a lot of them surely would have looked around and said, what, what is he talking about? What does he mean by this? But soon they would figure out that he was referring to how Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the whale, as we'll talk about here over the next couple of weeks. So Jesus, the Messiah, would be three days and nights in the belly of the earth in that grave. But then at the end, that grave couldn't contain him. And he came back to life. And so we see that Jesus looks at Jonah as being a real person. And then even in 2 Kings chapter number 14, even in the Old Testament, there's another place that we find Jonah mentioned. But Jonah has a lot of the same characteristics that we're going to look at today, even in the book of 2 Kings. Because in the book of 2 Kings, there's a king by the name of Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II. And if we had to pull everybody up, Jeroboam II is kind of one of those kings we gloss over. And so we, uh, Jeroboam II was, let's just say this, he was not a good king. Um, he didn't lead the people to God. He didn't lead the people to worship him as God. Instead, he led many people away from God. But what we find is even though he was not a good king, that Jonah, as a prophet of God, came and prophesied good for Jeroboam II. Um, you see, Je uh, Jonah had his group of people that he really liked to please and he liked to spend his time with and he liked to do these things with. So Jonah wasn't really, even throughout the Bible, we don't see Jonah as being this a model of what a prophet ought to be. 
But instead of these things, we remember Jonah because of the fish. Because the fish is, it's big and it's extravagant. And the fish is a sign of what's to come. But at the same time, the fish, the whale, it's not the point. It's not the point of the storytelling. Instead, the storytelling that we're going to find takes place in such a way as to engage you and I as the listeners in a dramatic, in a dramatic interpretation of these events that will bring us to some convicting realizations. The, the book of Jonah, um, as you read through the Bible, really as you study the Bible as a whole, what you find is that there's a number of different what we would call genres in the Bible. So there are a lot of different pieces of scripture that are written in different ways. For example, the Psalms are songs. And so they're very poetic. They're very lofty. Um, they're originally written to be sung. And so we read those as poetry, right? Um, or if we look at the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, these are historical biographies of Jesus. And so they tell us about Jesus' life just a little bit at a time in about 20 to 25 chapters each. And so we find that these tell us the life of Jesus. Well, Jonah is written in a style that we would call satire. Now, that does not mean that it's fictional. What satire means is this. Satire is when we take something, when we take an object, and we kind of lift it up for all to see and to laugh at. An object of ridicule. So maybe if you've looked at it, if you've seen a political cartoon, um, you've seen those, and it's meant to hold up one political figure or a political party, whether you agree with them or not. It's meant to lift those up as an object of ridicule. It's, you're supposed to look at it and say, oh, that's funny. But then if satire is really doing its job, you're supposed to look at it and go, wait a second. That's saying something that's true about me that I don't like. If it's doing its job, it's supposed to cause us to be introspective and to say, there's something that's being said about me that maybe I need to address and I need to change. And so in the book of Jonah, we find Jonah as being this figure that's lifted up and we're going to look at Jonah and we're going to laugh at Jonah. Even today, we're going to look at Jonah. We're going to kind of laugh at Jonah and say, man, can you believe that guy? But let's not get too judgmental as we press into Jonah, because we're also going to have to take a look and say, oh, wait. That's me. Oh, wait, that's me. And so as we begin this study, I've entitled this series, Running From Grace. Running From Grace. And this chapter really is about escaping grace. Jonah is attempting to escape the grace of God as he's trying to move towards these people of Nineveh. And so let's begin reading in chapter number one. And let's see what begins to take place, understanding that the book of Jonah is a commentary on the people of God. The book of Jonah is a commentary on the people of God. Verse 1, he writes this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, okay, stop right there. We haven't even gotten into the book, but I want, I want you to see something really interesting that begins off the whole thing. This is a common thing that begins the way that prophets were called about to do their job. Jonah has the title of a prophet, and so God would come and he would speak to the prophets, and the prophets would go and they would relay this message to others as God had intended. But there's a few interesting things that take place at the very beginning. First, um, we find Jonah. Well, I want you to meet Jonah and be introduced to Jonah. And especially in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, really in the New Testament as well, the meaning of names is significant. 
Jonah's name has a really interesting meaning. Does anyone know what Jonah's name means? Maybe your Bible has a footnote or something like that in there. The name Jonah means dove. Dove. What do we think of when we think of a dove? We think of a sign of peace, right? In the scripture, it's a sign and it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit, right? And so we think of these positive images associated with the dove. Does Jonah, if you're familiar with the story, embody any of these characteristics of a dove? No. (laughs) No. And then even his name, he's the son of Amittai. Amittai is kind of a more obscure Hebrew name. Anyone know, we might know someone named Jonah. Does anyone know anybody named Amittai? Anybody have a friend named Amittai, cousin Amittai? No? Okay. Amittai means this. It means faithful. Faithful. So Jonah's very name means the dove, the son of faithfulness. Does it remind you of anyone? Probably not Jonah. And what we're going to find is that the very beginning of the story is introduced as this dove, the son of faithfulness is being told by God to go and to do this thing. And we're going to immediately see his response. Because the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, the son of Amittai, Dove, the son of faithfulness, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. And so the command that's being given to Jonah is a little different than most of the prophets. Because most of the prophets were told to go to the people of Israel. They were told to go to the people of Israel, go to the people of Judah, the Hebrew people, and they were told to go to them and to prophesy to them the words that God had spoken. Whether it be come back to God for their faithlessness, whether it be God's going to deliver you because of your faithfulness in the middle of this trial, whatever it is that the people are saying, uh, they're doing this thing and God speaks to the prophet and the prophet goes to Israel and says, Israel, come to God, do what God has called you to do. But he's not being called to Israel here. He's being called to a city called Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And they were not known for being good people. And as Jonah records the words of God, he says, their sin is great. It's come up before me. And this nation is known as being a very wicked nation. One that has rejected God. One that has enacted evil all really around the known world in this day and age. And so we have Jonah, the son of Amittai, being called to go to this foreign land, this foreign city, the capital of evil, if you will, in the day and age. And so he goes to the city, or he's told to go to the city of Nineveh. And then immediately what we find here, this is where the humor begins in verse number three. But Jonah rose. So you say, okay, great. The dove, son of faithfulness. Obviously, he's going to do what God says because that's what a prophet would do. And so Jonah rose to flee. Wait a second. Wait a second. You're supposed to be the dove, the son of faithfulness, and you're getting up to run away. And where is he running away to? He rises up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And so he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But wait a second, that's like, that's exactly what a prophet does not do, right? And of all the prophets, the dove, the son of faithfulness, should not be the one running away from the direction that God is calling him to. And what you'd find if you look, if you have a map in your Bible or something like that, or if you look it up online, what you find is that um, the Assyrian Empire is going to be located to the northeast of Israel. 
uh, modern day Iran, Iraq. And so what he is going to be doing is instead of going the direction he is supposed to go, in fact, Nineveh is located near modern day Mosul. Um, if you're familiar with the geography in the Middle East at all. Uh, but he's, instead of going that direction, he jumps on a ship. Um, if you're not familiar with that geography, you can't get to Nineveh by ship. It's landlocked. You can't go in that direction. Um, this is not a water journey. As he jumps on the ship, he's jumping on the ship in the Mediterranean, trying to go to a place called Tarshish, which is located um, near, over on the Iberian Peninsula, which is modern-day Spain and Portugal. <laughs> All right. And so he is going as far in the known world away from Nineveh as he could possibly go. There's not a more dramatic way that he could get up and say, no, God, I'm not doing that. This is really as clear of a message as Jonah can send. And so he gets up and he flees from the presence of the Lord. But why was Jonah running from God? Why was Jonah running from God? This is important for us to understand as we step into our story, and it's going to be revealed in a more full way later in the story. Um, but as we look, some would say, and they would look at it, and some stories portray Jonah as being fearful of the Ninevites. To say, oh, those Ninevites, they're scary people, and so I wouldn't want to go anywhere near them. I'm afraid of the Ninevites, so I'm going to go the opposite direction. Well, I don't believe that that's the case. Um, if you look at verse number uh, 12 of chapter 1, we'll get there in just a couple of moments, but he says this, he says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Does that sound like a man who's afraid? I mean, he, he doesn't really have, he kind of seems to have a, some sort of a death wish, right? If he's asked to be thrown into the stormy sea in the middle of this where there's no land available. Um, if you look at chapter number 3, verse number 10, he begins to say how God, what, he saw what they did and how they turned the people of Nineveh from their evil way, that God relented of the disaster he said he would do and did it not. But this displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry in chapter 4, verse number 1. You see, I believe here that Jonah is running because Jonah knew that God would forgive the Ninevites. He knew that if these Ninevites repented and turned to God, that God would be merciful on them. And Jonah, the dove, son of faithfulness, this uh, symbol of peace and the symbol of uh, trustworthiness, right, in the prophet, that he actually wants the destruction of Nineveh. That he actually desires that Nineveh would be taken down and torn down. And so Jonah goes the opposite direction. But really, Jonah fails to understand God and understand God, who God is. Because what does it say that Jonah is running from? In verse number three, he paid the fare and went down into the ship to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Where can you go that's outside of the Lord's presence? Where can we run that God will not see us? <laughs> There's nowhere, right? I can't get up and say, God, you know what? I'm going to hide from you. My kids, um, you know, if one of my kids gets in trouble, um, one of our kids especially, really uh, our, our two older ones, uh, they've started doing, um, developing this habit of if they feel like they're in trouble, especially like if we're near their bedroom or something, if we're upstairs near their bedroom, and then uh, they'll jump in their bed and throw their covers over their head, right? Because if dad's upset with me and I hide, Dad won't know where I, like, it's almost like you don't know where I am, right? It's like, okay, like, I can hear you, I can see you, like, this isn't working very well. 
And yeah, we think that we're able just to get up and go and run and hide from God, don't we sometimes? Sometimes when we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we say, you know what? I don't want to be near those things that make me feel convicted. And so I'm going to stay home and not gather with saints. I'm going to stay, I'm going to close the Bible, put it off over here. And I'm not going to read it today as if opening the word of God is this portal where he's able to see us instead of understanding that this is the God that Jonah is about to acknowledge that made the land, the dry ground, the sea and all things that are in them. Right? So where do we go to run from God? Is it possible to escape his presence? Is there anywhere that we're able to go? We can just say, now God can't see me here. And this is both a, uh, should be both a comforting thought and a convicting thought. Because first, no matter where we go from God, no matter what turmoil we are in, no matter what struggle that we are enduring, even if no other human being on the planet knows where you are, God does. Even if no one else understands the things that you are walking through, God does. Even if you feel alone and you seem to be alone, and from what you can see with your own eyes, you are alone, you are never alone because God is always with you. And this is one of the most magnificent truths about our holy God, is he is a God who is with us always. Simultaneously, when we are in a position like Jonah, where we want to flee from the presence of God, there's not a place that we can go. We might be able to feel far from God. That does not mean that God is far from us. In fact, Paul would say in the book of Acts chapter number 17, and then James would write in his book at the end of the New Testament, that if we we come near to God, God will be near to us. And Paul, the way that he says is that uh, at any moment, we are never that far from him. And so we find that God is always there with us, even when we don't perceive him as being close. And so Jonah begins this fool's errand of trying to run from the presence of God, but he totally misunderstands who God is. And I believe this, I believe from reading this story and looking at this book, that Jonah wanted to make it as difficult as possible for God to save the Ninevites. But he misunderstood God so much that he thought he could run from him. And really the sin that we see exhibited, we're going to look today at three sins that existed in Jonah's life. Really the first of these that we see is that Jonah chose his priorities for life over God's. Jonah chose his priorities for life over God's. When God said, go to the Ninevites, I know you don't, I know you have a beef with them. I know you don't care for them. I know you want nothing to do with them, but go to the Ninevites. And Jonah says, no. Ain't no way. In fact, I'm not just staying home. I'm going to get away from here because he's like, you know what? I bet the Ninevites, I wonder if he, I wonder if he thought this, I don't know. I don't have any evidence of this, but I wonder if he thought, you know what? The Ninevites could probably come here, but they can't get me in Tarshish. So I don't know if he was trying to separate himself even further, thinking that if God wanted to bring the Ninevites to his doorstep, they could, but it's going to be a lot more difficult over there. I don't know. We don't know why he fled, except that he was trying to get away from the place that God had called him to. And so he runs away. But really what's happening is he's choosing the priorities for his life, and he's putting them over God's. As the people of God, we have to be very careful as we look at and we ridicule Jonah. Because is this not a commentary on us? So often we take our priorities 
our desires, the things that we want out of life, and we say, God, I know this is what you have called me to, but wow, I really would like this. And we go forward with our life as if God has no bearing on it. You know, that's my thing. That's my house. That's my life. It's my job. It's my career path, my family. Therefore, I can make those decisions. And so we place a priority in our lives that God has nothing to do with. And we ask God, we come to God and we say, God, bless my plans without ever actually considering what his plans might be. But that's a rejection of who he is. And if we really boil this down, can we be really honest together and here this morning? You and I make terrible gods. You and I make terrible gods. Because if I make a decision, if I take a step, I never know what's going to happen next in that step, right? I don't know what's going to happen next. I can't see the future. I can't see down the road. I can't see the consequences that are going to play out. I don't know any of those things. But what happens? I make that decision anyways because it looks good to me. And in doing so, there will be consequences for those actions. But I have stepped outside of God. Where are you leading? Where's your direction? And if we're not careful, this can be us. We choose our priorities for life over God's. We say, this is where I would like to go, therefore I do it. Even when God says, this is the direction that I have for you. And so this is the first sin that we see exhibited in Jonah's life. But can I tell you, the grace of God ruins some of our best plans. The grace of God ruins some of our best plans. And I use the word best kind of tongue in cheek because we like these plans a lot. And then the grace of God steps in and totally changes them. And in the moment, it can feel like rejection. In the moment, it can feel like, God, what are you doing to me? Why were you allowing this into my life? But at the end of the journey, at the end of the road, what we find is we find that God has a plan all along. And God allows these things and God directs our steps. And we find that God really, at the end, God is faithful through all of it. And that's what Jonah was about to learn here. Jonah was about to learn firsthand that even as he rejected the plans that God had for his life, God was still not ready to let him run away from this grace that he had been trying to provide to him. And so let's continue reading and let's look at what happens here in verse number four. We'll pick up the pace a little bit as we finish up uh, this chapter. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. When the mar Then the mariners were afraid. Like, you know it's bad when the locals are afraid, right? When the guys who do this for a living, when they start getting a little nervous, you know it's not a good sign. And so the mariners begin to be afraid. And they each cry out to his God. And so this is an interesting thing. If you're reading through this book, what you find is you find so far, the Lord, the Lord God, the God of Israel has been referred to through that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord in most Bible translations. This is referring to uh, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the Hebrew God, the one true God, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who sent his son Jesus to die for us on our behalf. And so this is speaking of the true God. And so when the mariners go out, they each cry out to their little G, God, right? And so they go not to the true God of Israel, but to the deities that they worship. These were not Israelites likely. These were not people who followed after the true God, but they begin crying out to their God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. 
And in this, this whole time, where is Jonah? Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. Fast asleep. Bold move, right? He's just hunkering down. I'm just a passenger. I'm just here. He's sleeping in the middle of all of this. As this turmoil is going on around him, he is sleeping in the bottom of the ship. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps that God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And so he comes and he says, he says, God, he says, pray to your God. You know what's amazing to me here is that this is the ungodly calling the godly to repentance. This is the one that is, he doesn't even know the true God of Israel, right? He's praying to these false gods, these gods that have no power to deliver. And he comes to Jonah and he says, Jonah, why don't you get up and pray to your God? This is this kind of situation. But Jonah, the prophet of God, has no interest in actually doing the thing that he's called to do. And so the first prayer we see in the whole book of Jonah is not offered up by a prophet of God. He's offered up by those who have no concept or understanding of the true God. And so we find the unrighteous mariners calling the prophet of God, Jonah, to repentance. That's not how this is supposed to play out, right? Jonah is supposed to be the one that comes and the one that says, hey, come to God, come back to him. And yet we find these that don't even know God are the ones that are calling him to repentance. And what does Jonah do? They said one to another, come, let us cast lots. Wait a second. Does Jonah now, now Jonah prays, right? No. Instead, the mariners are still trying to figure this out. So they said, come, let us cast lots. Let us roll dice. Let us figure out that we may know on whose account this evil's come upon us. So they cast lots. And if you were with us through our study of Esther, um, we spoke of those lots, the, the pure, the purim. All right. God does not leave things up to chance. And so what happens? The lot fell on Jonah. When they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Wait a second. Does he actually believe this? Does he actually believe this? Because he just ran from the dry land to the sea to escape God who made the dry land and the sea. Go figure that one out, right? If Jonah actually believed these things, why would he run into the sea for this, thinking he could escape God? But what does he say? What does the Bible say? Verse 10, the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Watch this. Because he told them. He, they knew he was fleeing from the presence of God because he told them. I'm just imagining him getting on the ship and they say, Hey, uh, you here for you traveling for business or pleasure. And he's just like running from God. Well, at what point do you have that conversation? Hey, yeah. Uh, so what are you going to Tarshish for? Oh, you know what? The God that made heaven and earth and the land and the sea and everything that's in it. Yeah. He really wants me to do something. I just don't want to do it. So I'm running from him. Like, how do you approach that conversation? But somewhere in here, he has this conversation. He tells them, this is what's going on. You see, the second sin, I believe, that we observe of Jonah here in this 
story is first, he chooses his priorities for life over God's. But the second one is this. Jonah thought his sin would only affect himself. Jonah thought his sin would only affect himself. He thought, if I make this decision to run from God, you know who that's going to affect? It's going to affect me. But now we find that these, and maybe, maybe he thought the Ninevites, but he wanted the Ninevites to be affected, so it's okay there. Uh, but what happens when we sin? Does our sin ever only affect ourselves? No. No, that's never how it works. It doesn't matter if it's in private, in public, wherever it may be, sin never only affects us. But now we find that the mariners are drug into this story and they're in the middle of this storm that God is sending as a means of grace to Jonah, even though he doesn't understand it. And now these mariners are fearing for their life as a result of Jonah's sin. I don't think Jonah got on the ship saying, hey, I'm going to take all of us down with me. Hey, these mariners are going to be brought into this storm as a result of my disobedience. I don't think he thought any of those things. I think he thought maybe this sin will affect me. Maybe God will strike me down and then I'll be done with it and I won't have to go to those Ninevites anyways. But we, we don't know. But for sure, we don't see that Jonah ever gave a thought for anyone other than himself. There was never a time that Jonah looked around and said, hey, what about them? What about those people who don't know God? We don't find that ever crossing Jonah's mind. But remember, as we speak of Jonah, as we lift up Jonah, who is Jonah a picture of? He's a picture of us. He's you and he's me. And you and I, how often can that be said of us? So well, I'm a good person and I do nice things. Yeah, absolutely. But when God is calling us, how often do we live out the way that he's leading us to go? How often are we willing to share the gospel, the good news of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ with others? How often are we willing to say, I'm going to risk my friendship or my relationship with this person so that I might give them the truth of the gospel? Instead, if we're honest, oftentimes we find ourselves being confronted and convicted as we begin to desire to share the gospel. We say, well, what if they this? What if they reject it? What if they think I'm crazy for sharing my faith? What if I'm stepping over a line or this or that? Can I tell you, if we really truly care about others, we'll give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if we believe that Jesus is the only means of salvation, if we believe that all of us are sinful and separated from God as a result of our sin, and that the only way to God is as a result of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection on our behalf, there is no being good enough to get to God. There is no doing the church thing enough to get to God. There is no alternative path to get to God, but only through Jesus Christ. That's very exclusive gospel. But that means that our unwillingness to share that gospel with others affects others. That means that our sin can have an effect on those around us. Our unwillingness to be messengers of this gospel of Jesus Christ. But the fact is that Jonah, he thought this sin would only affect himself. There is no sin that only affects us. There is no sin that only affects you. You might think it does. You might tell yourself this story whereby it doesn't bleed out to anyone else. But your sin will always affect others. And most often it's going to affect those closest to you the most. And so we look at our families and you say, how did sin get into my family? How did, how did this take over? How did Satan get a foothold here? But oftentimes, 
Oftentimes, parents, grandparents, if we're not careful, we can be the place that the work of the enemy begins. Your sin never, never only affects you. Your sin will affect others. And we see that play out so clearly in the book of Jonah here. And you see, Jonah, as he's speaking here, as they come to Jonah, they say, Jonah, who are you? What do they, what do they actually ask? Let's look here um, in verse number eight. So they say to him, tell us in whose account this evil has come upon us. They say, what is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? And he skips over a couple of these questions. He doesn't tell him he's a prophet. He doesn't tell him any of these things. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which we just talked about. We said, hey, you know what? That's probably not the most true thing. But sadly, here, it's often uh, the outsiders who see these inconsistencies between what we say we believe and what we actually believe. And that's what's taking place here. And so verse 11 comes. And they say to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And so what does he say? Immediately, he says, take me back to Joppa, right? Give me back to land because I've got to go to Nineveh. Is that what Jonah says? No. Jonah says, hey, just throw me into the sea. We don't know exactly Jonah's motives here, but I, I have a hard time imagining it's anything other than, I hope I die. I mean, what's his hope? He's miles away from shore in the middle of a storm. I think, he, I, what else do we see? Because there's not even a suggestion. We find that they reject this at first. Verse 13, they said, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. And so what's happening? They're trying to get Jonah back to safety because their consciences are saying, that's a bad idea. Throwing a guy overboard in the storm, I'm not here for that. I didn't sign up for this. We're not playing that game. Let's row the boat back to shore. And we'll figure it out there. But they can't even get the boat back to shore. And so what do they do? Verse 14, they called out to the Lord. Notice it doesn't say they called out to their God. But now they call out to the Lord, the true God. And he sa they say, oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O oh Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So after all of this resistance, they pick up Jonah and they hurl him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And so what happens? They cry out to Jonah's God, the true God, the God of Israel. Uh, they turn and they repent. They take up Jonah, they cast him into the sea. But then even look at verse number 16. This is incredible. The men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. You know what this is speaking of? These men were converted as a result of their experience with the disobedient Jonah. Because here's the thing. Here's an encouragement to us. Even through all of this, I hope we find conviction and encouragement. Even though we are sinful and we stray from God, God can still use us to accomplish his purposes. God doesn't stop and doesn't just say, you know what? I cannot use you anymore. 
But even the rebellious Jonah, God was using to bring about good. Even this wicked, unfaithful prophet Jonah, God was bringing about good, even from the very beginning of the story. Because now we find these mariners who had never experienced knowing the true God. Now, what do they do? They, when they get back to land, because they had just hurled everything over, you don't really offer sacrifices on a wooden boat. In case you're not familiar with sacrifices, it involves fire, which is not a good thing on a wooden boat, right? And so what's taking place? They get back to the land and they go and they remember how God had allowed them to live. They said, we witnessed the work of the true God. We know who the true God is. And they offered sacrifices and they made vows and they began serving the true God of Israel. And God was able to work even through Jonah's unfaithfulness. You see, Jonah said he feared God, but these men actually did. Jonah said he feared God, but these men actually did. Which brings us here to the third and the final sin that we're going to talk about today of Jonah. Jonah refused to live what he said he believed. Jonah refused to live what he said he believed. In all of chapter one, how many times do we see Jonah go before God in prayer? How many times? Zero. None. Not once. The mariners pray to their false gods, and the mariners pray to the true God. But even through all of this, not one time does Jonah actually consult God or get God's opinion on the situation. Not one time does he take a petition before God and say, God, spare me. God, spare these men. God, do anything. But he said that he believed that this was the God that made the land, that made the sea, that made all of these things. This is the God of the universe that he says he's following. But he says, I, with his actions, what do his actions say? Is he following God? You can't be a follower of God that runs in the opposite direction. You can't be a follower of God that says, I'm never going to pray. What did we talk about last week? If you missed our message last week, we looked at the church that says yes to prayer and how prayer is an expressed dependence on the God who delivers. Jonah here, this whole story is about how Jonah wanted nothing to do with dependence on God. You see, he says he believes these things. He says the words, I serve the God of Israel. Does he? He refuses to live in a way that he says he believes. But remember, as we point to Jonah, as we look at Jonah, we say, ha, ha, son of faithfulness. Right. Okay. We mock him and we laugh at him. The whole story of the book of Jonah is a commentary on us. As we look at Jonah, we say, Jonah, good grief, this Jonah, he refused even once live the things that he says that he believes. Oh, wait. That's me. You see, as I say that I believe in Christ, as I say that I want to prefer others and put others' needs in front of my own, as I say that I want to follow him, even if it means costing me everything, if I say that I pursue him above all else, do I? Does my life tell that story? Or does my choices that I make, the way that I interact with people, the way that I treat others, the decisions that I make, do they actually back up the things that I say that I believe or do they contradict them? Because we can all look at Jonah and say, Jonah, pff, that guy's worthless. Worst prophet I ever heard of. How dare he say that? But if we're not careful, what happens as we read the scriptures? 
we look around and we were like, yeah, Jonah reminds me of that person and that person and that person without ever taking the mirror of the word of God and turning around to look at ourselves. But Jonah's not made to be a book whereby we judge others and look around at others and say, how dare they behave that way? Jonah is meant to be a book whereby we examine ourselves. Where we look and we say, God, where am I? Just refusing to live out the things that I say I believe. God, I say I trust you, but man, I worry all the time. God, I know that you value me and I'm made in your image, and, but I, I don't seek you. God, I believe this, but I behave that way. But isn't that all of us? We all have those things in our lives that even as, we're, even as I'm speaking here today and we're reading through the book of Jonah, that the Holy Spirit of God is placing on our hearts. So we say, God, you know what? You're moving me towards this. You're moving me towards that. I don't know what it looks like. It might require faith. But God calls us to that. He calls us to move out of our comfort zone. He calls us out of Joppa. And he says, go to that Nineveh. Whatever that is. He says, go, do this thing that I have told you to do. And Jonah didn't have an understanding of the work that God wanted to do in Jonah. And if he did, he wanted no part of it. Because Jonah wanted to do things his way. He said, I like my plans. But God stepped in and said, hey, your plans aren't the plans that I have for you. Jonah thought that this sin, as he rejected the will of God, as he rejected the direction God was having him to go, he thought the sin would only affect himself. But yet, all of these others were drug into. But through the grace of God, God had good for them. But Jonah, throughout the entire first chapter, he refused to live what he said he believed over and over and over again. May this not be true of us today. May we examine ourselves and say, God, there's something in my life, a decision, a pattern, a habit, a line of thinking, whatever it might be, where I am not following after you and doing these things that I say I believe. May we give those things to him. Might we be the ones, like those mariners, not following after the example of Jonah, following after the example of those mariners that turn and that say, God, I'm here for you. I'm going to follow the way that you are leading me.